1: Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast, I'm Andrew Musgrove and it is time for a special episode, given that it is the National Break, we're going to bring some joy into your life, well i say that we're going to speak about a very special topic, I, I give Chris Watt who joins me uh, the opportunity to pick a topic and we're going to discuss it and he went with Steve McLaren's tenure.
0: I mean I think that's stretching the truth a little bit, I think you did suggest it and I said yes. Because you'd said, come up with a topic, and I was like, I don't know, and then you suggested it. So I think you're stretching the truth
1: a little bit there. But it was in, kind of, you know, because I know you got a lot of insight into that, you know, you once told McLaren to, um, I'm going to paraphrase, but I think it was along the lines of change the tune kind of thing. We'll get on to that, but yes. And we're joined by stand-up comedian Sy Beckwith, who you may have seen at the Stan Comedy Club in Newcastle, and he's also got a few solo Gigs coming up thank you very much for joining us thanks for having us um, he's going to give some light humour to what I feel might be a very depressing topic even though McLaren was only here for a matter of months well I'm interested to hear from a fans point of view because covering it is one thing but
0: hearing how fans went through the emotions of that season I'm quite I'm quite interested to hear how Cy found that season I imagine horrendous but just from a Different point of view across the season and different moments within it.
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's what's interesting. It was a short space of time, but there's a lot packed into there. Um, there's a lot to talk about and to unpack from it. And then it's interesting as well from me here and what your point of view yeah. is coming from the journalist side. Uh, but, the it, well, it was a joyless time I <laughs> for all of us, really.
1: Well, we'll start, Chris, with the moment that you heard that Stephen McLaren might become Newcastle now, because as I, if I remember correctly... Um, in what might be Lee Charnley's only ever interview with The Chronicle with our editor Mark Douglas. Charnley said he had 80 applicants for the job, um, sold them as high flyers, you know, really good applicants, and we somehow got down to one, which was Steve McLaren. Yeah, well, this was actually sort of my baptism of fire, really, because it was
0: the first season I'd covered Newcastle for The Chronicle. I'd been working down in London at uh, the Mail Online down there. But uh, we'd had wind... Uh, through our North East reporter that, that Steve McLaren was the one that they wanted. They initially approached him in January, um, when not long after Alan Pardew had left to go to Crystal Palace at the turn of the air. And initially, it seemed McLaren wanted to come, but Derby were reluctant to let him go. And interesting McLaren did an interview at Premier League World last week where basically said that the way that that was handled, the way that he was almost flirting with the club, Publicly, Even though he wasn't saying too much, probably had a detrimental effect both on Newcastle and Derby, which proved to be the case. I mean, eventually John Carver took over in that temporary period and Newcastle went on a horrendous run, got sucked in the relegation zone, only survived on the final day of the season. And and then McLaren was sacked by Derby. And yet, Newcastle had decided that the way they wanted to move forward to change from a manager to a head coach, uh, quote-unquote, Steve McLaren was the man that they thought could fit into the model. Graham Carr was very influential in that. He's someone who'd worked with him before, and so essentially Newcastle created what was a foot what they called a football board which consists of four directors Lee Charlie the managing director Steve McLaren head coach chief scout who was effectively a de facto director of football in Graham Carr and then also uh, club ambassador Bob Moncur. also got put on the board which I think was a mistake I thought the whole thing was a mistake but put, putting Bob Moncur in that conflicted position I thought was strange.
1: So given Cy the kind of Heartache that Castle United fans have been through, John Carver, Alan Pardew, you know, relegation scraps, and this is meant to be the new start, the new beginning, um, and we end up with Steve McLaren, who I'm sure everyone remembers for probably one photograph standing on the touchline with his umbrella in the ring.
2: It's that, it's the umbrella, but I think it's that Dutch voice that also everyone remembers him for, and it's like... Steve McLaren coming in because he'd been he was sacked by derby wasn't he he was sacked by derby at the end of that season so he came come in and it's like when you're at school and you've got like a supply teacher comes in and they show one moment of weakness and you just have their life for a year <laughs> and that's what McLaren was like because he come in and you've got the Wally with the Broly headlines you've got the fact that he's just been sacked from his last job you've got that infamous Dutch voice that he put on when he was at 20 are
1: we going to have any impressions of that?
0: not from me unfortunately Simon. Steve Steve <laughs> McLaren but it was also I mean the, the, it was They got off to the wrong footing as well Because I think at the time And I, I'm speaking from a reporter's point of view But I, th- I think fans at the time Yes there was all the scepticism But at the same time They thought right This is a clean state We'll start again But Newcastle bungled the appointment in the first place in terms of when he was unveiled. It wasn't a full press conference. I, again, I hadn't quite started this job yet, but speaking to the reporters who were covering at the time, there was only selected media allowed to go in for it. Certain media were excluded. And it was just the wrong footing that McLaren got off to in the first place. The club didn't help him in that regard. And you just there was a sense early on that this didn't quite feel right. And
1: subsequently turned out it never really got much better than that. I suppose just in that sentence there, though, you kind of sum up... Mike Ashley's tenure of Newcastle United because that wouldn't be the first time we've seen a kind of a, a mistake like that. It wouldn't. And I'd, as, as I say,
0: I, I thought the football board was a mistake. I could see Newcastle were moving to more towards the continental model. Their transfer recruitment plan over the, the preceding years had suggested a move towards that. And Graham Carr was increasingly influential someone who had the ear of Mike Ashley, which not many people do. And so it was a, essentially creating a structure whereby because it was a head coach, quote-unquote, rather than the manager, he didn't have full say on players and it became that more continental model of rather than a a traditional British manager whereby you select all the players, you have a part in the process of it, but who was a de facto de facto uh, director of football and graham carr was essentially given a very powerful transfer role and, and and i think there was a disconnect there because mclaren didn't necessarily get all the players he wanted during that summer or the ones he did get weren't necessarily the type of players he wanted and we then saw as we get onto in the january window where that model became conflicted and uh, went for a halfway house and really it was just a mistake from the very start
2: halfway house is the exact term because so it was just bungled from the start and like you say, that's not the first time that's happened with Mike Ashley. And it seems even when he tries, so like obviously there's the infamous joke in the yeah, press conference when he's come in effing and blinding. Like no matter, no matter what he does, it just seems everything's going wrong from the start. But you're right with McLaren when he come in, he just didn't really stand a chance. And I'd forgot until I was reading up on it for this, that he was on the board. I just totally forgot that was a thing. And again, it felt like something that they'd just come up with that day. Yeah. There was no thought process behind, this seems like a good long-term plan. I was like, well, let's
0: just try this. We've tried everything else. And there was no real clarification on, in terms of, of the board. In th- it has now been dissolved. But when they eventually sacked McLaren, McLaren had to resign from the board as well, which was the ridiculous situation <laughs> they had. You could, they could sack him, but he still had to be the one who physically resigned because he was a member of the board. So it was it was all a bizarre situation and really just conflicted in terms of who was doing what.
1: Did the appointment fill you with passion, sir?
2: Um... What's the opposite of passion? I would say it was that. It's one, because again, it's, it's, well, Steve McLaren is just a charisma vacuum, really. When you look at what someone like Rafa is and there's warmth and there's McLaren, you kinda, You could sit and watch an interview with him and talk. And it's interesting to see what you would think of as a journalist, but there's just, sometimes it's just nothing there. There's nothing. There's the excitement that he's had for football. And again, coming through, the way that he flirted with Newcastle at Derby, if you do that when you're in a job, and you've got no connection to the club you're coming to, it's hard for a fan to get on board with that because you're like, well, what happens if someone bigger comes along? I mean, they're not going to be Steve McLaren, you're awful. But in theory, yeah. if someone bigger
0: comes along, he's just off again. And the the issue, the issue when you say about McLaren and, and seeing to be that vacuum, I know a lot of people who cover football up here who covered Middlesbrough when he was there. And yeah. they say the change in those 10 years was quite stark. And a lot of them put it down to the England job and basically that it, he basically... He, he, he almost lost his own personality during that. He became layer upon layer, and he didn't know how to be himself. So he'd ask him a question, and he he had in his mind because he'd been coached so much on what to say. He had this power of three, so there'd always be a three answer. I mean, it's a it's a thing in, in journalism, anyway. It's also in writing that you describe yeah. things the three lots of something, and then it makes effect. But not every single answer he give. and so he'd just say what something that meant the same, but three times, and it just became excruciating sometimes. And he would almost answer a question. In words, but you could see with his face, he was—he he meant the complete opposite. But he didn't feel he could say it because yeah. he was, to a degree, powerless. So it, it was
1: excruciating. Sometimes it was. So just to be clear, this was your the first manager you'd really come across because you just started.
0: Yeah, first first Newcastle manager I dealt with. Yeah, in terms of because I just started. So my first game covering Newcastle was West Ham away, which I think was the fifth game of the season. Yeah, so I came in. It was I came at the start of that international break, fight, transfer deadline day that summer. Um, although I knew I'd, I'd been getting the job since the summer and then no I need to brag <laughs> and then yeah so McLaren Newcastle are losing 2-0 away at West Ham which really was the point where you could tell I mean been a, there'd been a couple of reasonable performances Southampton early in the season they probably should have won but th- I think there was a bit of excitement during that game yeah. I don't know if I'm just talking about that but then they lost at Swansea which was a terrible display but went to Man United got a draw and that wasn't too bad the Arsenal game obviously Mitrovic got sent off but the West Ham game because if you remember the game was delayed because Newcastle got stuck in traffic going to Upton park that was the abiding memory of that match That the game got delayed because Newcastle hadn't got the preparations correct or at least I tried I can't remember if the game actually got delayed or they just tried to get it delayed and they basically didn't have the preparation time they wanted and then Dimitri Payet who was a player Newcastle had looked at ended up scoring twice against
1: them and from that point on it never really recovered we'll just head back to the The signings that McLaren made, given that Benitez is currently. You say McLaren made. Well, that's part of the issue. The club made. Given the fact that Benitez is currently scrapping around the bargain, being Miguel Almiron, um, obviously not included in that. But given the fact that one of the things he wants for a new contract is assurances over control over transfers, that there will be some money to spend in the summer. And yet, looking at the list of players that were brought in, it's quite remarkable that. McLaren had Ronaldo, Mitrovic, and Bemba Tovan all to play with and uh, you know got a January and then even was allowed to bring in Townsend and Shelby because things were that bad well my understanding is that that summer, Mike Ashley had decided that because
0: Newcastle had been relatively frugal the, the few summers before that, they hadn't really spent to accumulate, they had enough money in the bank so thought, right, we're going to have a very good go at this this summer, and hopefully that'll build a platform so that we can challenge for another top five finish like the had in Ireland, Pardew. The issue they had was they stuck rigidly to this model of players under the age of 26 with a potential sell-on value, all of whom, or the majority of whom have gone on to prove that they are... Good players, or certainly have some value, but they weren't certain well, none of them had Premier League experience for a start, and they were also still in the formative years of their career. So, J- Jorginho Wijnaldum, 14.5 million, ended up getting 25 million pounds from Liverpool for him. He is one player who McLaren did want a lot. Mitrovic was different, Newcastle had watched him several times, weren't sure, they took a bit of a gamble on him. It's questionable whether you say he was a success or not. During that season, he was one of Newcastle's better players to a degree. Sure, he had something, but wasn't ready to to lead the line in the Premier League. Chancellor Bemba did very well that season, but again, had no Premier League experience. And then Torvan was a bizarre one. I mean, he, he was someone who Graham Card wanted for a long period of time. Uh, he'd been brilliant at Bastia, but it, his career had toed and fraud since he never really wanted to come he admitted that later on that basically I, I signed because I was told I had to Marseille accepted the money and my understanding was that Newcastle maybe could have had him for even cheaper early in the summer but then went back from later on, paid more money and it was just disastrous so it was it was a strange scattergun approach but again a lot of these players were Graham Carr led and McLaren had a say to a certain degree but, but he wanted players with the Premier League experience and again
1: by January he finally got some but it was probably too late. Your memories of any of those players' side? Does anything stick in the stick
2: well, in the mind? on paper, that was two good transfer windows in terms of the players coming in. Like Wine Wijnald- Wijnaldum, I remember getting excited about. Watched like videos of him, and he looked a really good player. And what was nice with him, I remember the interview when he first signed, who so was looking around St James's Park and seeing his eyes just light up at the thought of playing at St James's Park. And that was lovely to see that in a player. But then again, you throw it under, you're going to be playing under Steve McLaren. And it felt like there was no clear plan at all for that. Like there's players, in theory, if you're going with a head coach model, those players should have got better and been coached religiously to be, and relentlessly to be better players. And it never felt like they were. Like Mitrovic just needed someone with an arm around him and sometimes just to tell him, mate, calm down. And nobody ever done that under McLaren. And that's, he, he, I think he's a good player, Mitrovic, as well, I really like him.
1: I mean, you would, you would cross the street though if you saw him.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a quintessential just Newcastle <laughs> Raji, really, in it. But he's just from another country. He's wonderful. That's what Newcastle yeah. needed. They had players there to get you off your seat and to get you excited, or to scream, "Please don't hit that person, Meet Row, Calm down." And it's there was players there to do that, but there wasn't the coaching behind them. It felt. I remember the Norwich game, which was a big win, and there was players starting to click, but they'd never the momentum that was never there.
0: And I think the issue was as well that that you had all these players coming in who had potential, but the Premier League experience wasn't necessary. Yeah. there and actually one of the biggest mistakes I think that summer was keeping Coluccini because he quite clearly decided he didn't want to be there anymore. And they gave him a new contract. He remained as club captain. And so one of the main leaders within the dressing room really to a certain degree his mind had already shifted away from Newcastle he was already quite homesick he was already thinking about leaving and so rather than bring in Premier League experience players who uh, you could rely on to bring through those youngsters the senior players they had within the squad were questionable themselves so Soko, yes he came good in a Benitez later on but for large parts of the season went missing Colaccini was injured for a large parts of the season, but also, as I say, his mind had already basically gone elsewhere. And so the the, the players they did keep for, for that core within the squad to help develop the youngsters who they'd just signed,
1: it, the, the blend was just completely wrong. Well, certainly. I think if you look at the start, six defeats out of uh, the first 10 games, I remember going down to that Man City game as a fan, sitting in the Man City end. And you tell yourself, don't you, if you're on the way end, obviously, we shouldn't condone that but if you are ever, sorry in the home end as an away fan and you're sitting there and you're thinking if we score I'm just going to keep quiet I'm not going to celebrate and then Mitovich rocks up with fantastic diving header and I couldn't help myself unfortunately Aguero might have seen me celebrate and decided that he was going to make my life well, a- that did, if
0: you remember correctly though they had a g- perfectly good goal disallowed He did. Mirtovich scored again and it was disallowed for offside and he wasn't offside and that would have gone 2-0 at that stage but then there was a the, what, 19, 19 minutes well, I mean, what
1: happened in that game because i tell you what that was one of the worst 45 well yeah that was one of the worst second halves of my life because the City fans were not going to let me get away um, with that celebration to say the least
0: well it was quite incredible to watch it unfold really because Newcastle had played very very well for those 40 minutes or however long it was before we were at 42 I think was that when you got the first one yeah was, 42 yeah. minutes so for those four, first 40 as I say Newcastle were brilliant Mitrovic had been very good got the first goal wrongly had a goal disallowed and Man City looked a bit shell-shocked to a degree but as soon as Aguero scored it was almost as if the previous seven eight games however far in the season it was just came flooding back in front of Newcastle and suddenly thought actually we we can't win this we can't win at the Etihad and, and Aguero always scores against you always scores against castle. and in those 20 minutes he was absolutely unplayable I mean castle were a shambles at points Jamal LaSalle ended up coming on a left back at one stage if I remember correctly there was injuries there was mistakes all over the place and it was just a horrendous 25
1: minutes most certainly but I mean the game before they played Chelsea and you know were two up I mean do you think it was just a case that we, you, early on you you could see that McLaren's side were just going to struggle to hold on to leads.
0: yeah I think that the psychologically they frag fragile that was part of the issue and that part of it is to do with leadership and part of it is to do with the fact that these players I think some of the players who came in from uh, foreign leagues I'm not trying to, to I'm not one of those people who says oh foreign leagues aren't as good as the Premier League but in the Premier League you have to play for the full 90 minutes, as cliched as that is. And I think that there were certain points early in that campaign where the players were really thought, oh, we've won this game. Yeah. And teams just came back into it. The Southampton games, a perfect example of that, where they just couldn't, they just couldn't hold on to, to Leeds throughout that, that that period. And the longer that went on, the more self-belief was drained and the more it seemed the season was just drifting into nothingness. Because if you look at those fixtures, compared to, say, this season under Rafa Benitez, when Newcastle didn't win any of the first 10 games, those fixtures, they're not easy, but they're easier certainly than the 10 fixtures Newcastle face this season and yeah they got more points from them but they had Southampton at home they had Swansea away that had West Ham away Watford at home they're not absolutely horrendous fixtures they're not, they're not easy but they're not absolutely horrendous and they just couldn't West Brom was in there as well
1: away not horrendous fixtures And Chris mentions their belief slipping yeah. away I mean how quickly did your belief go out the window I don't know how much I had by the time the season started anyway,
2: because again, I just wasn't on board with McLaren. But Newcastle finally just go, right, we'll go with it. And the signings did give you that little bit of belief. But once you watch what was happening on the pitch, and again, it's something you said there, Chris, about um, it's that leadership. And once you can look at the team and just looking at the team sheet going, there's nobody there who's going to guide you through a win or guide you through a door, or when you're down, pull them up, because that's what those younger players will need. And even if you're signing really good players from foreign leagues... They need someone to guide them through that ninety minutes, and we didn't have that night. to because had basically just checked out, mm-hmm. yeah. and that was apparent. Because I think he'd been talking about leaving all through the season previous, was it?
0: I mean, well, it was that was one of the strange things during the summer because he towards the end of that season he basically said he wanted to go. He talked about it publicly, but yeah. also privately. And then they came to some sort of strange agreement where he signed another... I think it was a two-year contract and he ended up leaving at the end of the, the relegation season. But it was just bizarre because he clearly didn't really want to be there anymore and, and yet they managed to fudge it where he stayed. Yeah.
2: it just needed a, another leader, another couple of... Like another captain-type performance. A captain that you can bring in when Colicini wasn't playing. He could have just become that sort of squad player and have him as a backup, but there was no leadership on the pitch and that just chips away at your belief straight away because everything that you're shouting from the stands... Nobody shouting that on the pitch. So if you're not going to, and then Steve McLaren's not going to, who's going to guide that team through? And that's what, that's what chips away at your belief. And obviously the horrendous results in six hundred one defeats <laughs> here and there.
1: <laughs> were you surprised that he lasted so long? Because, I mean, we'll, we'll get on to the point where he probably should have been sacked, given the fact that he didn't make it all the way to, to March anyway. But, I mean, his, the results leading into the turn of the year were horrendous. And... I mean, a very, very lucky manager to still be within the job.
2: Yeah. I mean, once you get to January as well in the transfer window where he was backed with money and Townsend and Shelby. But Shelby was an odd one as well for that sort of relegation scrap that you need. That's, he's a very tempestuous player mm. that can go one way or the other and you chuck him in the side with Mitrovic as well. Are you going to finish every game with 10 men? But he was back in January and you think you could get someone in to actually go where you can survive this. I don't think McLaren has the... The hood spot to get through a relegation scrap. He doesn't strike you as a man who's going to, when you're in the trenches, guide you. Inspire forth. You. Yeah. He's just going to hide behind, No, oh, somebody got us a brolly. It's that thing of, there's no leadership. There's no passion. There's no, you need someone who's going to pull you through. That's why Sam Allardyce is such a good, has such a good record of getting people Siege out of it. mentality. Yeah. It? It's that, and there was no siege mentality. And if you have that siege mentality and then you sign someone like John Joe Shelby, who's potentially, if you want to go through the analogy that it's like a war zone and you're getting through with the siege mentality, he could shoot any of his own army at any point because he just could be a liability.
0: There was It was, wasn't signing players to add leadership, which is what you said there was so needed. And what I also found quite telling during that season was that for... I can't even remember the point where McLaren publicly accepted that they win a relegation scrap. And the longer they went without winning, and you talk about it and he said, first it was judge me after 10 games, then judge me after 12 games. Then it was judge me, I think, by Christmas. Then it was judge me by the end of the season. And all the while, it was almost as if the relegation... The fact yeah. that when a relegation fight was just creeping up on them and none of them really accepted. And whereas Benitez over the last two years, and it's a different situation because they, they were coming up and, and he created it this season that, that, that avoiding relegation was a big and end or Newcastle didn't have that singular focus. Yeah. It wasn't that we are, we have to survive. It was that why are we in this position? We're too good to be here. We should be competing mid-table, maybe even trying to get into Europe. And it, it, I think it just took far too long for there to be a realisation, an acceptance within the squad that we have to just knuckle down and survive here. And it just drifted to a point where they were too far in a relegation scrap before they could really get out of it.
2: I think that's exactly it. It's the realisation if you accept that quicker. Mm-hmm. So because the board didn't, so in January, again, you could go, we're in a relegation scrap. Is Steve McLaren the right man to get mm-hmm. me through that? What sort of players do we need to get out of that? We didn't. We approached that going, we're a mid-table team and Steve McLaren will make we'll be a mid-table team. <laughs> but we clearly, clearly weren't because the performances weren't of a mid-table team. And it's that if we'd accepted that earlier then you go, right, we need we need to scrap here. Have we got the right players to do that? Have we got the right man to do
0: that? Because if you remember the, the board, well, the when they announced McLaren at the start of the season, they announced the board. If I remember correctly, part of the uh, idea was that they were going to challenge for a top eight, I think it was, plus maybe have a goal in the Cups if they could. And so when that didn't become a reality rather than shift the focus and right we have to survive there was always still that in the background of oh well it'll come good eventually we'll be fine and then once the January window did come about again the issue with who was controlling transfers came up because Graham Carr wanted certain players which is why Henri Savé was signed which who McLaren didn't want and as soon as Benitez came in realised wasn't good enough anyway, McLaren had basically already shipped him, shipped him to, the, to the sidelines. McLaren wanted Townsend and Shelby was given them. And Townsend was very effective. But Shelby, as you, as you say, can you, was he the player you needed in a relegation scrap? And then also they brought in Sadu Dumbia because they didn't actually get the one thing they needed, which was a goal <laughs> scorer. Well, they needed a goal scorer and a centre-back. They didn't sign a centre-back. And the, the goal scorer they brought in was someone who was had it, been at CSK Moscow because he liked going there because he didn't have to train. They just let him play on a weekend and who just wasn't, had never played in England before and was a, a complete gamble. And, and we barely ever saw that was yeah. the issue. It was so muddled all the way through.
1: I've got to say, and this isn't a slate on the photographers at Newcastle because they do an excellent job, but that photo shoot of him holding the football in the showers, if I'm not mistaken. Now, he was, he was fully clothed. but... I was wondering where you're going with that. It was one of the most bizarre unveil, un, unveilings of a signing ever. I mean, holding a Newcastle-backed band football. <laughs> Standing like I just don't, I just didn't, I just to this day I still just don't, I don't get it. Very very bizarre. Um, When was the moment that you kind of just said to Steve McLaren, with all due respect, Steve, you've you've said the same thing the last kind of six weeks.
0: It was Watford away in January, uh, January twenty third, twenty sixteen, because Newcastle had played at Watford and already lost in the FA Cup um that was when torvan received pelters from the fans and basically his newcastle career came to an end uh, early on where he was booed by his own supporters but uh, Newcastle had, had beat, uh, to be fair To be in him what he was saying is that Newcastle had been playing well and over that period in, in December to January they did play quite well, they went to Arsenal and gave it a right good go, they just couldn't score, I think it was when Alden missed three or four chances they went to a few different grounds and played well they just couldn't get any results and he kept on giving me the same answer I never asked him about he said oh well we're playing well enough to survive you know once this team clicks and I just took him to one side when he was giving me the same answer I said look Steve you're going to have to say something's different because for a start you've said this for the last six weeks and I need something different anyway but second of all you can't just keep hiding behind that it's actually for me I found it more because he saw it as a positive I was trying to portray it as a positive that Newcastle were playing well but not winning games for me that was more concerning you'd rather they'd been rubbish for that period of time but scraped a couple of 1-0 wins but they were playing well and still couldn't find a way to win and that was alarming because you're thinking where, where, when are this squad going to win a match and it was just again that period of drift where it's like oh everything will be fine because we're playing well enough but they didn't have any goals in the team they didn't score enough and, and they found themselves in that position so I just had to take on to one side and say it and it, 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 to be fair he, he accepted that I was right <laughs> but he didn't really then add anything to his answer afterwards
1: Yeah we well, certainly very uh, well were you the start of his downfall, do you think? No. I think that started long before me. I'd, I, I, I can't pretend I had a big role in that. Um, well, the game after is obviously a very important game in, the, in, in terms of maybe Jamal LaSalle's career because it was kind of the moment where he came to the front that he got sent off and, if my memory serves me correct, left the pitch and shouted the words, nobody cares, which is maybe the leadership side that you were talking about. Yeah,
2: and you could, I think... From looking in as a fan, Lascelles surely could have been somebody that McLaren spots and goes, there's a bit of leadership there, we can guide him through. Much like Benitez has, he come into the team towards the end of the season, there was clearly something there, that actually that's what that coach should be, is spotting the personalities that you need. So it might not be necessarily Lascelles being thrown into the team at the start. But you start to guide him through and go, There's a leader here, there's somebody who does care and push that through. But that wasn't spotted. And I think it again it all comes back to that acceptance that you said before, Chris, which is when you were talking about not like talking about playing good football is not accepting the situation. It nobody cares if you're playing good football if you're in a relegation scrap. And somebody like Lascelles was the one where you go, Well, he cares why doesn't anyone else, or why aren't we signing people who can at least care? It's having that bit of pride. You don't want to get relegated, but did we have players who had that pride of not getting relegated, or did we have players who go, if we go down, I'll get a move to someone else?
0: Because that was part of the reason why Newcastle were attracted to McLaren in the first place, was because of the supposed brand of football he could bring. Winning football wasn't necessarily something he'd had since his FC20 initial spell, but what he did do, most clubs he went to, was he tried to introduce this passing sort of football, this way to move forward. That was they were wanting these technical players that were bringing in from the continent, and that was the idea. And to a certain degree, that that was implemented at certain points. As I see over that December, January period, they were playing some good football, but it wasn't winning football. They could play, they could pass it around as much as they like, but they couldn't actually put the ball in the back of the net, and they were shipping it at the back. So it was it was almost as if they were running before they could they could actually walk because they needed to get the fundamentals right then build on that but it was trying to implement that before they were actually in a position where they were securing the table and it was unfortunately just they never really got off the ground that season
1: and that moment from Lascelles, I mean how big of an
0: impact do you think that had I think it had a significant impact it was interesting the La thing seems interesting because as I mentioned earlier Man City came on at left back he'd been he'd only had a few a handful of appearances up to that stage and he'd, he'd come in Well, he'd been signed actually 18 months before that period because he'd been signed during the summer of 2014 along with Carl Darlow and then loaned back to to Nottingham Forest. And they knew there was a raw talent there, but he wasn't quite ready for Premier League football. But you always got the impression, and McLaren never said it, but always got the impression that McLaren didn't really see him as as someone who was going to, to be a success in the Premier League. Never really thought, never really trusted him. Now, as I said, I don't think he should have been playing regularly throughout the season, but he could have been... Introduced in a far better way, and to, to bring him in as a left back when he wasn't a left back, he's never going to be a left mm. back, he doesn't have any really pace for a start. He didn't really have a left foot, he, he's not grey on his right foot on the ball to be fair. He's more an out and out defender. <laughs> um, was it was, was one of the strange moves, but again, this was a season where Newcastle were riddled with injuries, and yet the players didn't really know what positions they were meant to be playing in. People were moved, but were switched all these different positions, and it was just a again, the Lascelles thing that was one of the few, one of the positives to come out from it that his leadership really blossomed in those final few months of the season. It was someone who really cared about the situation they were in, whereas you could argue that some of the senior players within that dressing
1: room probably weren't too bothered because they knew they were going to leave that summer anyway if Newcastle went down or not. We're getting towards the end of uh, McLaren's tenure, but the mention of Torvan before actually reminded me of a great moment back in September of that year when he turns up in a tuxedo, which I don't know if you guys both remember, but I mean just summed up that season, didn't Yeah,
0: it? But that was after Mbem- Mbemba had done it first. And the reason Mbemba had done it... But again, this is another mistake the club had made because they wanted to have club suits, but the club suits weren't made in time for the start <laughs> of the season. So the players were told to turn up in their own suits. And Mbemba didn't understand what that meant and so went out and bought a tuxedo. So his was an honest mistake. I mean, Mbemba's not the brightest person. I'm not going to lie <laughs> if you ever actually speak to him, not the brightest person. Really. So, but whereas then Torvan did it as a next game sort of showing... Almost like I'll, I'll join in this and wear the tuxedo. And that was again, and the this situation in Castleman was just strange. And that was the sort of attitude he had. It was almost a laissez faire attitude of, of coming in. I mean, as a fan, I imagine that was a strange thing to see.
2: Yeah, it was bizarre. And I think it's that it's just so misjudged. Like, it's somebody clearly trying to be funny, which has a place in football but you're like now's not the time and the place Florian just don't but no, again a, a leader within the club would always went mate come here go and get changed and told him but nobody was there to tell him and that comes from the head coach down really
1: Well but, I mean would you I mean that's in the WhatsApp group and your mate goes right I'm going to do this you know if things are going right I mean what 20th of September that happens so Okay, actually, looking back at the fixtures, things hadn't gone all right, so maybe that point. I hadn't won a game by that stage. No. <laughs> so- <laughs> but you know, you know what mean... I mean, mean. Torvan uh,
0: had a very good debut, to be fair, in the, yeah. in the Cup. He'd done very, very well. And that was the point where he thought, hang on a second. Yeah. And what he's done subsequently when he's gone elsewhere, mm-hmm. there is a heck of a talent there which was never in doubt. But he was a player who didn't want to be here. It he was always doubts about whether he could physically hand the pre- handle the Premier League anyway was he going to like the weather all the cliches you can, you can throw at anyone and he was the, the archetypal sort of person who wasn't going to and he, McLaren didn't want him in the first place anyway, he clearly didn't have any yeah. trust in him um, and so you lost him CM De Jong had another injury early in the season so there's a player who didn't get his chance to really make it at Newcastle due to injuries and whatnot. and it was all these players who in theory you thought were meant to be the ones who were going to lift Newcastle at the top half of the table that either didn't show up or were injured loss of form weren't interested and by the time that they got through to a position
1: whereby they had a, a relatively settled eleven, they were already in a relegation scrap. At what point do you think, as he's walking down the touchline, Torvag goes, "Yeah, maybe, maybe this isn't the best idea."
2: I think that there, uh, like very, very quickly. But it, I think that comes from having a bad idea like that and just knowing you can get away with it. Like you can have someone like so again with McLaren, good manager and a bit of fear. If you've got a boss. You've got someone who you look up to. You should be constantly vying for their support, constantly vying for their like approval. Like if you look at the way the players are with Benitez now, a lot of them you can tell if Benitez says something nice, and that's what they're playing for. They're playing to get that praise from someone they respect. So well, totally Stephen Gerrard
0: said that throughout his career, he said that uh, he said when I played under Benitez, I was yeah. always looking to to, for, to just say something positive every now and again. You they're always they're almost looking at him as sort of the the influential figure, whereas from my understanding, was that a lot of the dressing room used to take the mick out of McLaren to a certain degree. Certainly further on in his period, there used to be jokes on the team bus, there used to be texts sent around and all this sort of stuff. And basically, he just became almost a... I'm not, I don't want to say a comical figure because that's not fair. He wasn't that. But there, was, there wasn't the respect from him that you would expect... No or that a manager should command. And partly that was probably because he'd been labelled as a head coach. And I know other teams have it. I know a lot of other clubs have head coach, but it was the way Newcastle made it clear, this guy's not our manager, he's our head coach. And I think that that undermines his authority to a certain degree.
2: It does undermine it straight away, because if you're making a change specifically for that person, you're almost going, well, what have have they got? not got Mm. that you wanted? Why couldn't you just find a normal manager? Why are you changing it for him? Mm. And if he then comes into that job... And everybody knows that it's almost like you just got Well, you're just a head coach. It's mm. so like again, it's that like teacher analogy I said before. Like coming in, if he's not a full time teacher, he's just a supply teacher. You know, you can rinse him because he's only going to be there six months.
1: But I mean, it's interesting. To enjoy Barton's autobiography. I don't know if you've had the pleasure of reading it. Um, aside from the bit where he talks about, you can see a glass of water differently to other people, which is a really you must read that page. Um, aside from that, he does talk about McLaren and how he's a brilliant coach and he praises him for being a brilliant coach but he makes the, the kind of conclusion that we've all made that when it comes to being a manager he's just not up to scratch and I guess you know we saw that with with the likes of Derby with you know what happened in England and it, it's just unfortunate but you know that's just just the way it is
0: yeah I, I just don't think he is a number one in that position certainly not in the Premier League I think as a coach you no matter who you speak everyone always praises his ability as a coach Um, But again, that summer when Newcastle went from, I think that partly what undermined his authority straight away as well was also the fact that it looked like he was desperate for the job because he'd been sacked by Derby. No other Premier League team was going to give him that role. And so it was almost as if he accepted it on terms that really he shouldn't have done. And then he was hamstrung by those terms throughout the whole of the season. And then for someone whose managerial career had already... Been on the down curve for a long period of time, basically ever since he left Twenty. Been to Wolfsburg, struggled. Been at back to Twenty, struggled. Uh, been to Nottingham Forest, barely lasted any time at all. Derby was up and down, so he'd had a very he'd had a very mixed last few years. It was a strange person for Newcastle to go for in the first place. And I think he'd lost confidence in his own ability. If I'm perfectly honest, I think he'd started to question himself too much. And then when things went wrong, he didn't know. He didn't have the courage of his convictions to stick by what he knew.
1: And so there was too much flux going on at the same time. I mean, I don't mean to be rude about McLaren. I mean, we haven't even got to the end of his spell yet. But how on earth does he continue to get jobs and jobs at decent teams? Obviously, goes back to Derby. Now he's a QPR. Yeah. I mean, is it is something we're missing? Yeah, to bizarre that he's got that. It's a reputation
2: because of what he had with Manu when he was there with Ferguson that bought him a lot. When he was at twenty, he won the league, and I think that bought him a few years because to go abroad and to do that, and I think. People want him to succeed. Like He doesn't seem like a bad bloke. Oh, he's not. He's a really nice bloke.
0: I I will say that from every day of the week.
2: And you go, you want him to do well, but it's almost like it's just... It's one of those ones, particularly for championship clubs. There's a, a group of probably about 12 or 13 managers who seem to have managed every single one of them. And it's always clubs like Forest and Derby. And those ones pop up and end up with the same managers. And it's almost... McLaren now, I think, seems like we're out of ideas. Let's give him a go. And that's happened a couple of times... Lately, that you'll know if when he leaves that role, there's two or three likely candidates because they're the other ones who go on that championship managerial merry-go-round that he seems to now be quite a big
1: part of. Because it started pretty badly at QPR, then it's picked up and now it's tailed off slightly. And he seems to always have that. I mean, even despite how bad it was in Newcastle, there was a brief... Kind of few results where you thought, okay, maybe this is the turning point. Liverpool at home, Spurs away. Yeah, two two back to back wins where you thought it might turn at that stage. Well, I thought it might. What be- is it then? Is it mentality? Does he just does he does he think the job's done after two results, or is it what is it?
0: I don't I, I don't think it's it's that he thinks the job's done. It's what I said before. Is I think I don't think he is someone who can still that winning mentality into. I don't think he has that ruthless edge as a manager whereby winning is the be all and end all it was interesting in the interview he gave a Premier League world he even implied that when he talked about when I was younger it was all about winning now I want to coach players and I think he's a coach and he's not a manager and I think there is a difference certainly in England maybe elsewhere it is different but I think here there is a marked difference in that. And if you don't, if, if it isn't just about winning, if it isn't about making sure he's high on the table, if it's more about you want to coach individual players, but you don't have the other element, I think that some players, certainly at elite level, just don't buy into that. They don't get that immediate respect that they would for a manager who they think, right, if we get behind this bloke, he's going to really take us high.
1: Most oh, certainly. So just before we put the final nail into... His coffin site. So I give the floor to you. Obviously, you've got a few gigs coming up yourself. Yeah. Um. So this is your, your chance to to tell everybody about where. And where. Um. Well, I'm gigging all over the place. I'm in Middlesbrough this weekend at
2: the West Golf, which is always a lovely gig. Uh, the main one that's worth plugging. Seventh of June, I'm doing a solo show at Alphabeti e, uh, Theatre, uh, which is called Get Lush. Because every New Year's Eve, every New Year's Eve, I set myself the same resolution, which is just to get lush. It's nice and vague. It can mean anything. Could mean like just going to the gym. Reading more books, putting on in the afternoon mean anything I want it to mean. And I've sent out a show around that about how trying to be better is ultimately a good thing. Which actually ties into McLaren, is that it's I was that it ties yeah, into Newcastle. Yeah, just trying sometimes is good. Like <laughs> it's fine to actually really, really try. And if you fail at the thing, and I think that's where the last few like the McLaren era, particularly for me, that's what Newcastle felt like. People just weren't even trying. And just actually just put a bit of effort in, and even if you fail, at least you've tried. And that's why that season was so heartbreaking. And you see the difference as well when Benitez come in at the end, and like, which I think that's what made the Spurs one on the very last yeah. day infuriating because he like, well, you could have done this ages ago, but you haven't.
1: you could have done it because he was he got sacked in December for Madrid, so and there was and one in the start of January. Start, yeah. yeah, so I actually tweeted out in the second week of January, get Benitez in.
0: Well, cause, because the, the period where I thought that Newcastle should have made the change was after Newcastle lost five one at Chelsea, and so that stage there was only that's only two games before they actually made the change. But it was an international break. Newcastle had a also had a longer break because they had their annual. Break, which is the FA Cup, what well, a fifth round or whatever, which they obviously yeah. never get to. So they had a lot of extended period, and, and instead of getting rid of McLaren, they let him take the squad to La Manga. He convinced them this is the t- we, we'll work hard in La Manga out in Spain in this training camp, we'll have a friendly against Lil and we'll be ready for the post scene but after the Chelsea game I remember specifically how I could just you could sense the squad had completely lost any faith in them and I spoke to most of them wouldn't stop but I spoke to Jorginho Wijnaldum by the side of the pitch Wijnaldum who usually is the be, one of the best players you can interview lucid eloquent always has an interesting answer always gives you long answers and I think the interview lasted one and a half minutes he'd been taken off at half time and I asked him why he'd been taken off whether he was injured and his response was you'll have to ask the coach that and walked off and that was the end of the interview all his answers had been short and he just walked off and I knew at that stage this is there has to be a change here, and I thought it would come and I think that, that to be fair the board did think about it or I say the board that would include McLaren <laughs> himself I think Lee Charnley did think about it at that stage but McLaren managed to convince him round that look we go to La Manga we'll be fine They had Stoke midweek when they came back away and then they had Bournemouth at home. They they went to Stoke. It was a horrendous game. They conceded, I think it was like in the 80 something minute, it was a deflected goal, which was heart-wrenching in itself in Newcastle. But then that Bournemouth game was just shambolic and um, it was a one where McLaren knew he had to win, otherwise he was was almost certainly going to be sacked. And they weren't just beaten though. It was... Comprehensive it was comprehensive game. and three one flat Newcastle because Bournemouth absolutely tore them apart. I mean, that time. Chelsea
1: game was an absolute embarrassment. I remember watching it uh, in a bar in Newcastle, and don't matter how many alcoholic beverages you have to watch Chelsea just rip you apart. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. And you're right; it should have been sacked before the international break because you know you, you there would have been time then for whoever. For see, McLe- if it had yeah. been Benitez, but even for someone else,
0: there would have here had say if you'd taken a week to appoint you, but there's still, I think, another 12, 13 days before the next time. game. So that's to just work with your players, get to yeah. know them, and then going into the spell, which eventually Benitez took over on. There were some winnable games, but Benitez now still argues they came almost
1: too early in well, his that's tenure. that's the yeah. point, because we can see, after Benitez took over, the of yeah. former took a few games, then it picked up, and you would say two results, well, two, two wins would have, would have definitely kept them up. Yeah, if they'd, have, um,
0: if, if they'd have beaten Norwich, certainly, or even if they hadn't lost to Norwich. Yeah that would have given them a What's, chance.
1: Do you think, partly side that, because McLaren was Lee Charney's pick, he was a little bit under pressure to, this has to work?
2: Yeah, I think particularly with the money that was spent as well, like you say, because they've been frugal for so long, you see them finally chuck money. And it's almost the negative effect that that's had on what yeah. comes next. It's almost, you can see that Mike Ashley's justifying in his own head, but well, why am I going to spend money when it's gone wrong before? Yeah. Even though, actually, the, those players turned a profit, could still, like Shelby still like turn a profit on him like that that is a like plan worked. It was just the wrong person to implement that plan. But that's what's affected everything that's come since. That's why Benitez gets
1: no money because he trusted someone when he wants, and it's just a shame that that man was well in theory Steve McLaren, but we both all oh, know it wasn't. Do you think the fact that Mike Ashley is an absent owner as well? Because he if he'd been there um, and seen how bad it was, he maybe wouldn't have signed off on on Andros Townsend and and, and Shelby. Would have got a new manager in, and, and because arguably a lot of fans would say that we're still, that Newcastle fans are still paying the price for what happened in this season, you know today.
0: I, uh, you can argue that, but I just think Mike actually does not understand football, so I don't think yeah. it matters if he was there or not. It does, it does. For him, it is, it he doesn't it's yeah. pure numbers, and it was as Sy makes the point that he looks at it and he thinks I spent all of that When Newcastle spent all of that money that summer across the two windows, I think it was more than 70 million net they spent. And he looks at it he says, what material gain did we actually get from them? Now, the model itself was incorrect. That, that would be my argument. But you can argue that what they actually got is they got a profit on just about all the players they signed. But also... The, the issue was that it was misdirected, the money they put in. He, but he sees it in the purely financial terms of, I spent £70 million, but I ended up losing 100 and whatever by Newcastle going down. But that was due to mismanagement, not necessarily that the willingness to spend money was incorrect. Now, I have no problem with this idea that Newcastle should spend within their means. I do understand the logic of that. I do think that Newcastle shouldn't overstretch themselves. But at the same time, I don't think they have spent to their limits yet I think that they are still restricting themselves in what they can do and that season really has it was a sliding doors moment for Newcastle if Newcastle had survived even under Benitez I think that we may have wouldn't gosh, he's never going to go and spend lavish amounts of money but I don't think there would have been restrictions away but because relegation was as Lee Charnley described it catastrophic for Newcastle United financially Mike Ashley at that point is just he's he's not going to put any more money into it because he, he 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 won't speculate to accumulate in that way because as he sees it I could spend eighty million and I could end up losing one hundred and fifty million.
1: So onto that that Bournemouth game and Castle are comprehensively beaten. Uh, McLaren's probably happy there was no rain because uh, and do you think he stays away from umbrellas? Oh, he must do now, surely. He's got it, hasn't he? Yeah,
2: I imagine he's got a proper fear of umbrellas. If he sees Rainy, he's just staying indoors and hiding wherever takes, he can.
1: So he's maybe his granny's uh, <laughs> what you, I don't know what you call them, but you know they're kind of like plastic bags on top of the head. But I mean, standing on the touchline and watching his team get absolutely, uh, you know, torn apart by a side who would, you know, tears below them, you know, leagues below them, not so long ago, and he must have known that was that was it. Yeah, I think McLaren
2: often he saw it with England. He has that in certain jobs he's had that dead man walking feeling almost and because of again with when he, when it happened and when he went and because of the results that had come before that and almost you know that should have happened quicker and it's almost like he knows and I think that little bit of self-awareness is the one bit he has whereas actually it would be helpful if he was aware more that maybe he's not a manager he's a head coach gets people in around him but he just ploughed through and it is that thing like almost you just knew you were just waiting for the moment that he's going to go hold your
1: hand up and say look, i'm i'm done so what was he like after that game
0: he looked crestfallen i think he was a man who knew what was coming but at the same time he had to put on the front and he said look i'm still i still believe i'm the man for the job and still fall." and i did feel on a human level i did feel from as i said before as a person, as a bloke there's a really nice yeah. man I've got nothing negative to say about him and I actually found it quite difficult during that season when and I understand that social media and things like that but when a lot of it a lot of the criticism became personal when people talk about the island of hair he's got in his head and all that sort of stuff and I understand it is funny to a degree but at the same time his issue for me was that he wasn't up for that job it wasn't about personality it wasn't about issue he wasn't about the way that his hair was exactly but I, I, I up, and leave. so it was difficult in that regard and, and I, I really felt from the following week because the, the way Newcastle Managed that over over the week when he knew he was going into work every single day in Newcastle's Benton training ground, knowing that he was he was waiting to be sacked essentially. When Newcastle waited, that had the word from Benitez's people that he was, he was willing to to speak. So th- those talks were going on behind the scenes, but then Benitez eventually was the one to say, "Look, I'm not signing until you sack the manager who's currently there." I won't take... I won't be announced with them. So then there was a few... But it wasn't until the Friday in Newcastle did that. And then there was about a three-hour period whereby McLaren had been sacked and then Benitez was appointed. But I just thought that that was terribly handled and I understand why Newcastle did it because they were afraid that in case negotiations broke down with Benitez and then they didn't actually have the manager they wanted, but they'd already lost faith in McLaren by that stage. They decided they needed someone else to even start negotiations with Benitez. They should have they should have done that first and said, Look Steve McLaren, we I'm afraid that we've lost faith in you as a manager and I can, goodness only knows what would have happened if, say, Benitez hadn't come in and then they hadn't sacked McLaren. How ridiculous would that have seemed, that they had a club where, basically, they'd sat in their hands for a week trying
1: to get rid of him and then couldn't? It's utterly ridiculous, isn't it? Because if you're listening to this podcast, but you've literally just tuned in 30 seconds ago to hear Chris say, they should have done it quicker, they should have had this done, you could be listening to one of dozens of, <laughs> dozens of podcasts that we've done over the last 18 months where myself, uh, Lee, or, you know... Chris has made exactly the same point and as a fan site it must be so frustrating because they should have done it quicker. It yeah. should have been sacked quicker, and it should have been brought in mm-hmm. quicker. I mean, we should have signed Lejeune quicker a couple yeah. of summers ago. It's it's it's, it's the same repeating pattern all, yeah. all the time. Well, it's running, like,
2: so if you take this, this was where Mike Ashley spent money, and you look at what he's done, and he runs, so even if you want to run the club like a business, which isn't a terrible idea, he's running it like a really bad business. And you look at, if this is something that's meant to make money, everything's going constantly wrong, like the people he hires for the jobs, and you're like, Mike Ashley, looking at it, it's almost baffling how he's made so much money, if this was the example of how you run a business, because everything is just catastrophic. Every decision feels like it's too late or the wrong person for the job. Um, every little thing that seems to happen just feels like it's how how are you running this like a business? When I, I wouldn't trust you to run like a sweet shop with this attitude. Because if you followed that through, the sort of people you'd bring in to run that shop would be ridiculous if they'd never worked with sweets before. And you're like, well, what are you doing? And it's that constant thing. He just runs it like such a bad business on paper. When you look at it, like getting relegated was catastrophic. So there's loads of things you could have done to hire people quicker or to get the right person in the first place and if not admitting your mistakes and get someone else in none of that was done so again you just look at it and just go "Well, this is just ridiculous decision after ridiculous decision constantly done too late
1: I mean the, the images of McLaren first going into the, the through the doors at the trading ground with a bit of a smile on his face he knows the cameras are there and then he's in there he's out there he's in there and it was literally just back and forth and then you have the security guard who um he was still there today, he was he was on he was tweeted by Keith Downey the other day. I can't remember what was it? He was in just short sleeves when it was snowing, wasn't it? Twenty minutes later he was indeed in a coat. Um but not point. But then he comes out and he's got a nice pat on the back and then McLaren's face is like thunder. And it was just a bizarre a bizarre couple of days, wasn't it? Because like you say, on a human level, nobody deserves to be put through that. You
0: no, know, they don't, and I mean the speculation was out there that he was going to be sacked, but speaking to him off the record, on the record through all of that whole week speaking to him through back channels he had not been communicated to by the club during that week and I mean I suppose what were the club going to say to him, well yeah we are just waiting to sack you we're just waiting to see if we can get your replacement in but at the same time it was an open secret that he was going he knew it because it was out there everyone knew that it was just a a matter of time as to when it was going to happen I think that Benitez coming in became clear by about the Tuesday or Wednesday that certainly negotiations were advanced. Because I have to be honest, when Benitez's name first came up, I just couldn't believe that that was going to matter. I, I, I was asked for my opinion at the time as to the sort of manager I'd be looking for, and I thought, well, Newcastle just need a firefighter here because I thought they needed that siege mentality. So I was thinking you get someone, obviously Sam Aldais was at Sunderland, but someone in that mould whereby... The be-all and end-all is survival. Forget about everything else. We reassess in the summer. Well, Nigel Pearson was potentially one who was available at the time. Was Moyes... I can't remember if Moyes was in a job or not, but someone like that. was available. And so, at that point, that was my... Because realistically, I was thinking with the club that Newcastle had become under Mike Ashley, that was realistically what they could go for. And and Rafa Benitez was a million miles away from where I thought Newcastle would go, but it was Rafa Benitez who wanted to come to Newcastle. He made the first approach. And then when... Newcastle learned of that well actually they'd learned of it before as you say in the earlier period they probably could have done it during after the Ch- the Chelsea game but once it became clear Benitez was still interested that was something they explored and it was I spoke to about a year ago I spoke to Rory Smith who at the time worked for the Times and um, he wrote co-wrote Rafa Benitez's semi-autobiography it's basically he goes through his Liverpool career and about the Champions League nights and he met Benitez for coffee that January after he'd been sacked by Real Madrid And they were sitting just chatting and talking about where Benitez could look to go next. And at the time, Southampton seemed to be a well-run club they were a club you maybe if you got it right could, could be thinking about the top six and so Rory Smith suggested that to him and he said that Rafa Benitez sat in front of him and kept on repeating Newcastle United is a bigger club Newcastle United is a bigger club he'd identified Newcastle from his time and when he was at Liverpool he knew the potential and it was before he even got here before he sat in that first press conference he'd identified that job and he thought that is one of the few clubs who could reach the level of the other ones and so it needed
1: Benitez's will and wherewithal to get him through the door as well all I've got now is a picture of a vulture with Benitez's face on just like circling (laughs) like you know looking up thinking oh here we go (laughs) but I mean it is but it's bizarre that you know Benitez actually did end up in Newcastle it's still a little bit bizarre now I mean as a fan you, you must sometimes just pinch yourself and go "You know, this is Rafa Benitez yeah
2: Like, I mean, for the goal, we were in that scrap. We went from Steve McLaren to the man who's just left Real Madrid, albeit he got sacked. It wasn't really, actually, it was quite a brutal sack in the way he was trekked there. I mean, how that season had been so ridiculous anyway, that literally, if they brought back John Carver, I wouldn't have been shocked. And it was like actually getting someone worthwhile that you go, even if we go down, if we can get him to stay. And that was the big thing, all of that summer after was going if. But what we had with Benitez is he bought into the city. He Mm. bought into that, it is more than a club. What that's what he had with Liverpool. It's what Klopp's had with Dortmund, and then coming to Liverpool. If you've got you buy into the context of the club, and you understand how that club fits within the city and the region, and what that can be, that's why he's been so successful. That's why he's got. And again, because they then look for leaders that can play, because that's what fans have a certain expectation because of what that club means to that city. And he understands that a lot more than I think what McLaren struggled with was actually just buying into that what the club means to the city and how you
1: deal with both at the same time. Oh, certainly. I mean, have you spoken to McLaren since he left the club? I've met him a couple of times
0: in a, in a social sort of a case, but not in terms of... I haven't met just him. Just I've been an hour at the been, <laughs> he's, been at a, he's been at a few games that I've been at. And he's, again, as I say, on a personal level, a really nice bloke to deal with. There's absolutely... I've got a ba- bad
1: word to say it to him on, on a personal level. It's professionally where he really struggled and he Did calculated. you find his comments, though, this week that he knew it wasn't going to go well. A bit bizarre, isn't it? I mean, mean, he's saying that with hindsight. With hindsight. It it was bizarre and I I think that he regrets
0: that six-month period whereby he should have either decided he was going to go to Newcastle that January or he should have just made sure that that all of the rumours were put to bed and actually what happened was the opposite, whereby he didn't leave Derby in January but he hadn't ruled out the possibility of joining Newcastle he ended up getting sacked by Derby when their season completely tailed off and I don't think they made the playoffs uh, even though they'd been in the position where they could have got automatic promotion a few months before and then at Newcastle he eventually came in having just been sacked and so he had the negative connotations around that so I think that he in hindsight regrets that and and realises that he hadn't really given himself a chance because of that everything around it was just wrong so I did find the comment surprising but at the same time I think that he he realised he made a mistake in the way that it was handled. A defining moment then of McLaren's tenure for you, sir? It's hard to pick just
2: one out of all the glorious moments he had, isn't it? It's I think that was... It felt like a slog being a Newcastle fan for that, so there isn't a defining moment, good or bad, because, again, he, he's come across like a good bloke, and it was just actually just quite sad just to be around that. There was no... Like, it was hard to be vitriolic and be angry at... A man who's clearly trying his best, but his best just wasn't good enough. Um, there was like a nice... I remember like the uh, the game where we beat Norwich at home. It was a lovely, like a nice environment. There was goals in it felt, but you never felt like anything was going to turn a corner. Everything felt like, let's enjoy this for now because tomorrow we've still got Steve McLaren in charge and we know what's going to happen mm, next. Because defensively,
0: Newcastle were yeah. absolutely <laughs> awful. Well, the game that sticks out most for me of McLaren's career, one of the rare wins... Uh, was the win at Bournemouth because I remember sitting there as a journalist and just thinking I can't comprehend how Newcastle United have won this game I've seen some one-sided matches but Bournemouth absolutely battered Newcastle and Rob Elliott had the game of his life I I'm no exaggeration five yeah. world-class saves easily Newcastle had one chance and it was a sort of it was a, it was a counter-attack which even then wasn't carried out properly and Perez sort of scuffed the shot and Newcastle went ahead and somehow they won the game and it's just that sort of the fact that they won it actually goes against it but the rest of the everything about the match the incomprehensible nature of it for me sums up that period until between when McLaren was appointed and when he was sacked just, I didn't really understand what was the plan what was meant to be going on and I couldn't my brain couldn't comprehend that and at that match at that meet, uh, period of time I couldn't really believe what my eyes were seeing that Newcastle had somehow won a game what, where they've been thoroughly outplayed. What was
1: McLaren's reaction afterwards was he toasting top 7 or
0: oh, He was yeah. just saying, he was saying, "Oh this is what that this team's capable of." And I remember just saying to him, I said, "But did you realistically think you deserved to win <laughs> that game?" He really had it? one shot on goal.
1: <laughs> Brilliant, it's not hardly. Hardly Kevin Keegan, but it is uh, well, no, it's not close enough. I'm not even going to lie to you. <laughs> um, well, that is everything. This Black and White podcast brought to you in association with eToro. If you head over to Chronicle Live, you can keep up to date with all the Newcastle cast news. We've also got a Twitter account, which is uh, EIBW Podcast. And we've also got an Instagram as well, ChronicleNUFC. Uh, thank you for side for coming in. And uh, Chris, you can get back to work now. Uh, thank you very much for joining us.